You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 281 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. So here we go again. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a nice review on iTunes or head over to Patreon if you want to support the podcast or consider, if you will, to subscribe to my YouTube channel. That will cost you nothing, but would really help me out. All the links can be found in the program notes or on naturalbornalchemist.com. All right, in this episode, I'll be playing my appearance on another podcast called The Alchemical Mind. And welcome to The Alchemical Mind. Today is a true alchemical mind, as joining me on this episode is Alex from The Natural Born Alchemist. So Alex, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for in- inviting me. It's uh, It's been a long time in the making, right? I think we, we've we kind of floated the idea of chatting for, I mean, at least six months now. I think I've been doing the show for about six months. So uh, so roughly around that time. So it's nice to finally get a chance to chat with you. I think uh, of all people that I've wanted to talk to, uh, you might be one of the more interesting ones because uh, I think even though you and I share a lot of uh, similar end goals, I think are the way that we view things is uh, sometimes contradictory. So it's it's nice to have somebody to be able to talk to and bounce ideas off of that uh that doesn't always agree with everything. You know what I mean? That's that's always nice to have. Yeah, I'm, I'm a contrarian by heart. So even if I agree with something you say, I have to disagree. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. No, I get that. Uh, I wanted to uh, bring you on because through, uh, through the magic of coincidence, there's been uh, a lot of stuff going on in, in my personal life and with the show in terms of uh, shamanism and uh, obviously psychedelics being a, a part of it all the time. And you, you're passionate about both of these topics, and that's why I figured I'd invite you on so we can chat a little bit, uh, in particular in terms of shamanic culture. I know that holds kind of a, a special place in your heart in, in terms of indigenous traditions. So uh, why don't you just tell folks a little, a little bit about, uh, about you and, and how you became interested in, in shamanic cultures? Well, I kind of stumbled upon it because I've always been interested in the esoteric and the occult uh, ever since I discovered um, the story about the quest for the Holy Grail when I was a little kid. Yeah. And uh, one thing led to another and I was uh, deeply into alchemy for many years and still am. And uh, looking at that topic, it just actually led me to discover a few books that informed me about psychedelics. And that's how I also discovered indigenous. I, I, I always want to go to the source. So whenever I find something that I find interesting, I always try to find what is the source of it. Mm-hmm. And in this case, psychedelics, it was indigenous cultures. And as soon as I started to look into that, uh, I became fascinated. And it also resonated with me. And I've always been... Uh, uh, a person that's been interested in the ancient past and it's always been very romantic and of course some people romanticize it too much because yeah. it wasn't all great but uh, I, 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 I like minimalism and simplicity and, and uh, I'm not that 
interested in the modern material way of living your life as much. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with you. Uh, in fact, I just I just recorded an episode, and I think it's the next one after uh, this interview, actually, and in which I'm kind of found finding that in my own practice, right? So obviously, psychedelics was kind of a an entryway into a lot of different things, but you know, I've been studying this kind of stuff for for decades now, and and I feel like the more I go into like understanding how a practice works and how it evolves, the more I realize that you really don't need to have a lot of practice. It's just a matter of really feeling what works and and what comes natural to you. And and I know you play around quite a bit with this. Uh, you you're a, a great lover of the Joker archetype, and uh, and I think that's actually really interesting because. It it kind of goes into some of the the core philosophy behind things like uh, behind like Zogchen and uh, and Taoist uh, ideas. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Uh, because I think that's actually one of the more interesting aspects of something that is still found in shamanic traditions that has been lost in in more dogmatic modern religion. Yes, well, when it comes to alchemy, uh, the the Emerald Tablet, which is like the foundational text for alchemy, is written by Hermes, so so they say. And uh, Hermes is the trickster god, so he, he is the joker, in a sense. Yeah. And uh, the shaman is always the outcast. The, the trickster, the joker, is also always the outcast. So the shaman is the outcast of the tribe or the community. Uh, people usually fear the, this individual, uh, but they also have respect and uh, all the shamans that come from an indigenous culture that I've ever met, they've all been extremely funny and uh, always laughing, uh, constantly laughing. And uh, uh, sometimes people confuse, you know, this thing about everything's a joke with, you know, if I see like a mother and her child has cancer, I don't laugh at it like, oh, it's a joke, you know, sure. it's funny. I don't do that. Uh, so, but I also think that um, uh, you can look at it with humor, but it, it's like a fine line, you know. Uh, and usually it's be the best way to look at the joke is to look at it uh, yourself, you know, your own role in the joke. So if I get cancer, then I can laugh about it because, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, I don't want the, um, so that's a big difference. People often misunderstand that, but uh, I do think you can joke about anything, but I, I wouldn't like, uh, you know, like like that example I mentioned, I wouldn't do that, you know, it's sure. a fine line. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting too, right? Because people take things so seriously and so literally, right? And, and I don't like to talk about politics, so I just kind of want to gloss over this point. But that may be part of the reason why we have so much struggle, right, and and so much dissent among people, is that nobody really cares to hear other points of view and kind of learn to either understand or integrate them into themselves. They're just kind of after whatever they believe in uh, on on any side, right? Whether you're a, a lefty or a righty or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and I think that's that's kind of interesting. And you know, you 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 do see this in in philosophical circles. So I think the the way that you practice this uh, this trickster idea 
is is much closer to like what Gurdjieff would believe in than the trickster archetype that say um like luciferians use right like the temple of set and, and those kind of people well it also makes you brave in a sense because it's not all about if something is funny or not I, that's not how i see it it's also the fact that like for instance like uh, as an example maybe you have an idea and maybe you have a business idea to start your own business or do something like that mm-hmm. many people might not be brave enough to do it but with this kind of trickster mentality it's like well what nothing can really happen anyway who cares right you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true, and that's that's why I mentioned the you know the the Taoist idea of of this archetype and and Gurdjieff, uh, because that's what it's about, right? It's like don't take everything so seriously, right? Just kind of go with the flow, and uh, and in some ways you're even kind of like tricking yourself, right? Uh, if you want to look at it as kind of uh, an aspect of karma, you can trick your own karma into not giving you say some negative repercussions. Because even like even you don't know how you're gonna act, right? And and that seems in in many respects kind of fulfilling. Um, when, when I talk about this concept, I like to to talk about my dog because uh, people love when I talk about the dog, I guess. But uh, you know, animals kind of live in this mentality, and and you could say that yeah, maybe they don't know any better, but just this natural state of of just being and experiencing all the time, and and I think ultimately what certain shamanic truths try to tell us is hey like don't take life so seriously right respect yourself respect others and just kind of enjoy the ride right and and that's how you get this like healing factor uh from the practice uh, of course within shamanic cultures oftentimes stemming from the, the the psychedelic ceremony yeah i i see it like as two lives like you have this life in this physical body i am now and then there's this bigger eternal life and that life uh, that i was before i was born and that i will be after i'm dead uh, that life uh, in a sense is more serious but this like avatar currently is you know <laughs> not as important in, but uh, it, it it's like a, a learning curve but like you i also think i have two cats because of my day jobs and that i i i, I will never get a dog it mm. wouldn't uh, be happy uh, with my current way of life, but uh, so I got cats instead because I need animals because uh, they they can take care of themselves when I'm at work. But sure. the, the my cats are I always call them my greatest teachers. They teach me a lot about patience and uh, being relaxed and being at peace and uh, uh, you know um, love also. Yeah, for sure, right? Because there's no there's not judgment of any kind. Uh, I think oftentimes that's what the problem is, right? You you have expectations and and opinions of what other people should believe in or say or think or what you should believe or say or think, and and that oftentimes gets in the way of having like a genuine direct experience, right? Yeah, that's true, and. Uh... Also, because I, I, I'm both a cat and dog person, hmm. and I say I always often hear that cats are not as loving, really. Like they would, they would abandon you if they got the chance, or you know, <laughs> they, it's not like a dog. But I, I don't have that experience with my cats. And w- when we've suffered tragedy, they've showed more love, because uh, like they can sense when you're sad, 
and uh, they uh, they behave differently depending on how I feel and I, I I'm pretty certain that they are uh, especially the female cat I see her as like a because uh, sometimes when you talk reincarnation, you always say you go from cat to human, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't, I'm not sure. Sometimes I feel like she's higher than a human in a sense. Sometimes. Yeah, that's that's funny actually, because I've said that about my dog. So I have two dogs and a cat. Uh, generally, I, I talk about my my large female dog. I have a, a Great Pyrenees, and uh, and I often feel that way with her as well, because she seems so empathic. And and caring and and very perceptive of how people are feeling, really, right? And and she can always tell kind of when somebody's down a little bit, maybe like I'll hang out more with this person, right? Because they'll they'll appreciate my company more. And so I can definitely relate. And to anyone that says that uh, you know uh, maybe cats are less friendly than dogs. You've never looked up stories of like people dying in their apartments and them being eaten by their pets afterwards. You know what I mean? So there's a there's a fine line even there too, right? Things always follow the natural state. Yeah, and I'm also thinking about like uh, with children because children are like kind of like embodying this trickster mentality because they don't haven't realized they should care about things yet. Like I'm talking about when they're three, four yeah, years yeah, yeah. old, and so they completely liberated. And they usually are, uh, I mean, like, if they could make the choices that politicians have to make, they would make better choices. Uh, and um, uh, But I think maybe it's the rules and responsibilities and all those things that uh, destroy it. <laughs> when, and, and when you see really, really old people, they are more playful because they know that they got nothing to lose anymore. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, you get to a point where you stop being yourself, right? And you you try to conform as much as possible. Uh, there's there's some interesting science in, in terms of that. Uh, I know, you know, you have this whole idea of the the bicameral mind, which I don't buy into, but but there is some interesting science about the the roles of the the left and right brain in terms of development psychology. And uh, and one of the ideas is, you know, when you're a child up to say three or four. Uh, you're you're more predominantly right-brained, and and that's why uh, children are more prone to like having imaginary friends and seeing ghosts and and apparitions and other hallucinations than uh, than when you get a little bit older and your left brain begins to develop a little bit more, and uh, and you have the the proper use of language, right? Whereas before it's more of a, of an image-based method of communication between you and the brain. And uh, I'm I'm curious if you've ever thought about any of these kind of things, in particular in terms of psychedelic use, uh, with something like uh, DMT or psilocybin or anything like that. Well, I I feel that uh, you become more like a child in that state, and I saw a lot of similarities when I had a baby, the way the baby was behaving. And the way you helped the baby when it was screaming or crying uh, was the same way you helped somebody in a psychedelic ceremony when they were in trouble. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, also the fact that you can't, if you take a proper dose, maybe move so much and you become almost like a, a child. But uh, I think it, I, I always quote this. Uh, Terence McKenna quote where he's like saying that uh, the brain is like a 
a folded or the mind is like a folded blanket and when you take psychedelics you unfold it and mm. uh, so um, i think that's a good way to describe it but i'm not sure i answered your question no no that's uh that's interesting actually i i you know, as much Terrence McKenna lectures I've, as I've listened to, I the, the quote was not familiar, so that was kind of cool, and uh, and it's very descriptive. the The issue kind of becomes sort of the the thing afterwards, right? And and I think that's something that McKenna is very good at explaining. In well, actually, even Alan Watts, Alan Watts uh, and McKenna kind of seem to go at each other sometimes, not directly, obviously, but. Uh, but there, there's some words in terms of their ideology that differ quite a bit, and uh, yeah, I think that's that's interesting. The how to navigate the blanket maybe once you've unfolded it. Yes, exactly. That's the that's the hard bit maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so what what would you say sets uh, like an indigenous culture that still practices shamanic tradition mm -hmm. with psychedelics? from a a spirituality that people are more familiar with and and i don't want you to include like say yoga for example um i mean we can get into the discussion if you want but you know things like yoga and meditation seem to really just have lost a lot of the beneficial aspects just like maybe psychedelic ceremonies could begin losing some of that aspect, and and I do want to kind of prod you a little bit on that. But but let's go back to the first thing: uh, how those ceremonies and those traditions differ from something people might be more familiar with. Uh, well, when it comes to psychedelic ceremonies, I've only done the indigenous versions. I haven't really done the more what maybe people are familiar with, or how do maybe I misunderstood your question. Uh, I guess. <sighs> Go ahead and speak to that. Let's let's start there. Speak to the, the <laughs> traditional ceremonies. I'm sorry. Uh, well, let me say like it's a huge topic, but I, there's like two camps when it comes to indigenous cultures and psychedelics and shamanism. And one camp says that uh, shamanism, indigenous shamanism with psychedelics, is a uh, is like um, debauchery or like it's gone wrong. And another camp says that it's the that's the only true shamanism hmm, yeah. and the, sh the indigenous shamans who don't use psychedelics they're like lost their way and uh, i'm in the i'm in the camp where i well uh, i'm more leaning towards the that it should be with psychedelics but it's not only psychedelics i mean they they use all the plants uh, for many different reasons and uh, uh, so it's not like the the main star of their shamanism is not necessarily the psychedelic but it's it's part of it uh, you know and uh, uh, i think that uh, it's, it's a bit ironic that i'm for the indigenous traditional way of doing psychedelics or the, their way of approaching it when i've through my whole life i've been an iconoclast against traditions breaking traditions mm -hmm. i always hated traditions and ironically now i'm just like a traditionalist it's pretty <laughs> strange <laughs> yeah i mean maybe it's a, a fine line but uh but maybe the the things that you kind of rebelled against in the past are more what you feel are, are corruptions of of 
I hate to use the word good or proper, uh, but something more akin to that, right? Where you you seem to resonate more with with shamanic traditions because they seem more true and and less bogged down by BS. Yeah, they liberated me in a way. One a good example is I, you know, I live in the part of the world where you celebrate Christmas, and it's it's a Christian tradition, of course, of sorts, I guess. And uh, and then I had a period of my life where I I banned Christmas from my life. I didn't do anything. Mm. I, I you know I was against it completely, but now I, I returned to it. But ever since I've been involved with psychedelics and shamanism, and now I've been liberated in the sense that you know, like I remember uh, last Christmas, I was in uh, sitting by the Christmas tree. There was uh, Christmas decorations. On the the music was actually a recording of. Uh, 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 Krishna does um, like Hare Krishna music. Okay, yeah. And I was reading the Quran, and, <laughs> and I was like, because like shamanism is like it's all of it. It's not like it was before all of it. So and you can find the golden nuggets in all religions. So it's kind of like liberating me. So so like all religions is my religion. And if I read a religious text and there's something I don't like, I just I have the freedom to just say, well, I don't like that chapter so i'm gonna just discard it you know yeah 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 i i definitely can agree with you on that uh i i also see myself as a little bit of a, a perennialist and and so there there's always some nugget of truth to to every religion every philosophy right even even if you want to look at uh, like modern cults right like i just recently watched the heaven's gate cult on hbo and uh, it was it was fantastic really well done and a lot of footage I hadn't seen previously, but you know, even even a, a belief system like what Heaven's Gate cultivated does come from some nugget of truth, right? Even if maybe the outcome has nothing to do with the the nugget of truth itself, and and you can say this for for any tradition in any part of the world at any point in time, and. You know, I, I often find myself doing something similar. I don't usually have music on when I uh, read, but uh, but I do read from every tradition, and I pick and choose things that make sense, right? And and I try to recreate, I guess, uh, the most accurate depiction of, of the world in my mind based on some of the things that I read and, and most importantly, have direct experience with. Uh, either through through meditation or just you know like hanging out in the woods or, or doing psychedelics. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, one great great example I think is the Unabomber manifesto. Oh yeah. The Unabomber is normally a very hated person. He's a terrorist and he kills people or and all that. But his his writing is really good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I wonder if you gave somebody just like pieces of the manifesto, right? And you said, like, read this, and uh, it's some sacred text that I found in a cave, right? And you had somebody read it. I wonder, like, how many people would be like, yeah, that's kind of how it is, until you told them who wrote it, and then they're like, oh, yeah, this is BS. Yeah, right? yeah. Probably a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that seems to be the case for, for many things. You know, I, I like the quote, like, Sufi mystic sometimes, and and... I get like, oh, that's beautiful. Who wrote that? And I'd be like, uh, you know, such and such person. And they're like, who's that? And I'd be like, oh, he was a Muslim mystic. And they're like, oh, Muslims. Like, I don't, I don't like that anymore. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I don't see why it really matters. You know, if if there's wisdom in it, there's wisdom in it. So just take it as it is. 
Um, I'm curious how you I, feel. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, sorry. I, I'll say I'm curious how you feel about uh, the way that these these psychedelic ceremonies are are developing uh, all over South America, in particular, um, in terms of the the commercialization of it. Um, I know you and I have like briefly in the past talked about uh, psychedelic use uh, over Twitter and things like that. But I'm curious how you feel about, I mean, I guess really the, the commercialization and, and industrialization of, of the ritual. Well, uh, I think it's important to uh, go to the source. The, the, I, the thing I have the biggest problem with is uh, that they uh, go to, they steal from the indigenous and then they sell it in the West. Mm. And uh, that, and they even sometimes call themselves shamans or whatever, but they're not. Uh, uh, you can't be a shaman doing a two week course and watching some <laughs> YouTube videos, you know? So it's, and it's also dangerous. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I didn't pretend to be a shaman or anything, but I one time I facilitated a, a mushroom ceremony. I just, it was in the beginning of my psychedelic career, you know, it was so amazing. I, you know, you have to share it with others. You yeah. know, it's just, just wanted my friends to like, uh, so there was like seven people, they all took it. And I was kind of like responsible, it felt. And I'll never do that again. I mean, <laughs> nothing really happened, but the feeling of like, uh, the responsibility of these people's like sanity uh, was like, I felt like, oh no, this is, it's, it's not, you know, I have to dedicate my life to, uh, to this if I want to facilitate other people's journeys, you know, I can't just, I mean, I can be a sitter, but I don't, I can't sure. be like the, the, the master of ceremony or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, being a sitter is a little different, right? It's uh, I mean, it's still a, a big responsibility, but not the same as as leading a ceremony. No. Yeah. No. But in in the in the Amazon, for instance, I mean, there is commercialization, but uh, the the so when you go there, you should find an indigenous like uh, retreat, not one that's like run by white people and not like <laughs> using the indigenous people at all. You know, I mean, the retreat can be run by white people, but the indigenous people have to be completely involved in Correct, the yeah. in the processes and and properly paid and uh, sometimes i hear people say like uh, oh, the, uh, you, you shouldn't pay for it but i think well you why, you pay your doctor sure right so i don't see a problem with that yeah yeah i thought about that quite a bit uh in terms of the podcast too right uh like how do you support it right i, I want it to obviously be really available and, and it always would be, um, but also why why not receive some reward? And and I've I've played around a lot with that in terms of the commercialization of of shamanic rituals in the Amazon, uh, because you're right. Like if if people are gonna go there and do it anyway, and there's gonna be an industry that arises out of it, why not take in the cash for it to support uh, the endeavor, right? And maybe support the tribe or however it works. Um, I just saw, uh, I think Maps had recently shared an article. There was, a, I don't know if it was a Kickstarter or like something similar, some some fundraising campaign for a a charity that kind of supports 
shamanic rituals in the Amazon and supports local tribes, indigenous tribes, in kind of making sure that they don't get taken advantage of. And and the campaign like failed miserably, right? And I think they got like a quarter of, of what they were asking for. And then, you know, the, the goal wasn't huge. It was $200,000, um, but still not, I mean, I would assume the industry is worth way more than that, right? And and if people are are willing to pay thousands of dollars to go to wherever and do a ceremony, um, I, I wonder if either they don't understand the thing that they're getting involved in and, and the, the circumstances surrounding or or if they just don't really care, right? And if it's if it's the latter, that seems a little I don't know. I mean I guess it makes sense in terms of a Western mentality of, of taking advantage of, of local traditions throughout history. But it, it just doesn't sit right with me, really. Yeah, I I uh, was at the conference many years ago and Jeremy Narby was speaking. I don't know if you know who that is, yeah, but he yeah. wrote wrote The Cosmic Serpent. And uh he had a great talk. I, I have a record. I played it in one of my episodes long ago. But uh, in it, he basically said that the indigenous called. Uh, he was an anthropologist, and uh, he he heard that they called them. The indigenous people called him like a vampire. So he, he started investigating, and then he realized that well, first they came there to extract the gold, you know, to suck out the gold like mm -hmm. a vampire, mm -hmm. and then it was like the rubber. And uh, then it was like land and oil, and now it's ayahuasca. <laughs> uh, so it's like it's always extracting something. And uh, white people, I mean. Uh, so he had a good thing, a good advice regarding that. It says that uh, regardless if you do psychedelics, ayahuasca, especially if you do ayahuasca with indigenous people, or if you do you happen to do it uh, with only white people in the in the America or somewhere. Uh, that you uh, find uh, like that uh, fundraiser, for instance, or something else where you like give something back. You don't mm -hmm. only take. You, you... So if you have a good ceremony, maybe the next day, maybe you send $20 to some organization that is working with indigenous people or whatever. So you like send some energy back. Not, so you don't only take. Yeah, and there, there is something about um allowing the the culture to continue right independent of of simply being uh, a means and, and a resource for others and uh, and that's particularly true in the amazon and especially in modern times right the the brazilian government is definitely uh very much against preserving uh native cultures there and and you you kind of see this throughout the world and and i do wonder if maybe there is some hope for for a movement towards preserving these things, right? Uh, I know that in in various parts of uh, of Canada, for example, they've returned native land back to uh, the tribes, and there is kind of a, a movement brewing uh, here in the U.S. to do the same. I think it's been like mildly successful. Uh, I know that there was one tribe that like got their island back. But uh, there's really nothing in the island anyway, right? So like, state doesn't really care. Like, yeah, here, take your land back. And uh, and I, I would love to see this move forward through just in all kinds of places that have like really beautiful native traditions that are at, at risk of extinction, right? In in Africa, you still have a lot of native cultures. Um, for now, you know, maybe in a hundred years that might be a little different 
as as we keep i guess vampirizing resources uh but you know there's beautiful traditions i was just talking about the sami culture for example uh you know for for all of history the sami were reindeer herders and and they had this ritual with mushrooms and and now most sami don't live a native culture anymore right they're they're living in cities and and it seems like there there should be there's always going to be like a small group that wants to continue in the the native way right regardless of where in the world you're you're talking about but uh but i wonder at what point do we just like lose all that stuff right and and it becomes like meditation or yoga where you know it's like you know pay 30 bucks a month and come hang out like in hot rocks or whatever and and you lose the the purpose of it right like you still get something out of it but uh but you don't get the full benefits of of the ceremony and the culture yeah yeah the sami people they they were actually forced by law so they couldn't really didn't really have a choice well that's true uh, yeah but uh yeah it's true you know if you look at nature the in the natural world the healthiest nate well the healthiest forest whatever is the one with the biggest diversity mm-hmm. so anything that's doesn't have diversity in nature usually dies out uh, so if you have a human race that becomes homogenous is that what you call it yep, yep. Uh, uh, it will die uh, so you need to have as many cultures as possible uh, and uh, the politically the world is trying to create bigger and bigger countries or bigger unions of countries or yes. whatever but really what we need is we need uh, five times more countries we should we should cut it up even more like it should be more you know it should be more diversity not like everybody's the same boring you know? <laughs> <laughs> no you're absolutely right and and i do wonder like how some of these larger states are able to continue in that way right uh, again, I, I don't want to talk politics, but there is a lot of talk in the U.S., for example, about uh, either breaking states up in half or, or doing all kinds of things. And I don't know how serious any of these things are because there's always some secessionist group somewhere in the world. But uh, but it is interesting to think about, right? Uh, but in, good. Sorry. Uh, but in, when it comes to indigenous people, like they they are the best. Co- custodians of our biodiversity on in the, on this planet i mean areas where they have full control of uh, the, the their territories they're more more uh, those areas are more healthy than like not uh, like uh, parks or national parks or reserves you know mm-hmm. yeah that's a that's a really interesting aspect of native cultures right because you you have to live by the land, right? And and back then, when the, the the traditions developed, you wouldn't have like airplanes, right? So you can't be like, oh yeah, I just I burnt this whole forest down. Let me just fly to this other forest, and and not care. And and that's kind of the way that we've developed in in Western society, right? You you kind of pretend to care about the environment, right? So you're like, yeah, put a put a park in the city, uh, but meanwhile, like is having the park there really having any effect on on your overall lifestyle like okay you have a place to walk your dog and maybe go for a jog but what about all the other things that depend on the natural environment as well right we don't think about those things and and maybe as as things progress more and more um in terms of climate and and 
species extinction, etc., we maybe we'll start thinking more about it. Um, I don't know. That's that's a tough question to answer because you know people have been talking about that for you know since the 1800s, I guess, when we started really destroying everything. Yeah, I I, I just find that is is I mean it will be impossible for me to live like like an indigenous person where I'm living now in like the super one of the richest most privileged parts of the world mm-hmm. uh, with uh, all the technology and everything uh, but uh, I can still like yeah, try and emulate certain aspects of it because uh, there are many positive things that I've discovered uh, visiting indigenous communities and uh, they're all very different but there are certain traits that are similar and uh, one of those traits is like which is hard for me being a kind of a hermit but it's like community <laughs> uh, community which we don't have like right, at all right. anymore and uh, also this thing about uh, uh, family and uh, your family is always bigger than your own family it's also your neighbor's family uh, and also this outlook that everything is alive you know even rocks mm-hmm. and everything has like meaning like so like you know a classic example is you know you say to if a child i had a nightmare oh it's just a dream right Not just a dream it's a very important dream so tell me more that's so there's no difference between awake and asleep it's it's all reality you know yeah yeah i think uh, i really like what you said about uh culture and 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 surrounding yourselves with with people uh, I'm also a bit of a hermit. I, I generally tend to not like to be around people. But but I definitely do see the value of of personal connection, right? And and I think maybe that's more of what we've lost, right? Because, I mean, you know, I've got hundreds of neighbors around me. I don't really talk to any of them, um, partially because, you know, they think I'm, I'm <laughs> the crazy meditating guy down the street. But... Uh, but there is there is something about establishing like a genuine connection and and being able to share ideas and thoughts and and not be judged for sharing those things. So yeah, that that is very important. And and unfortunately with the way that the world works, it just kind of creates an echo chamber, right? So people that believe similar things just end up gathering in one spot and and avoiding those that that believe differently. And that's maybe something that we really should be able to work on a little bit more, right? There's value in in all viewpoints and all ideas. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's very important to keep an open mind. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one final thing for you. I'm curious how you feel about the and I, you know, this is kind of tangentially related to this, the shamanic rituals in the Amazon, maybe, uh, but. The all the studies going on right now, in particular with psilocybin, and I just read recently something about doing like a DMT pill. Uh, that kind of, I don't know, it made me feel a little odd when I first read it. Uh, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Well, the thing is, like, I'm a, a, a bibliophile, you know. I like a proper book, like a big book, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, one of the few materialistic things I enjoy is getting books, hardcover books. And uh, so if I make a metaphor, the, the hardcover real book, like a, a work of art, like written by Dostoevsky or something, that's like ayahuasca ceremony. 
and uh, these like quick pills and that it's it's like a tweet <laughs> but i have to also add that um, i do understand it also why they have to do it and i understand because our system is in is built in such a way that i mean this is is good medicine and it would will help a lot of people but um making it like an easy to swallow pill or that kind of uh, strategy also weakens it in a sense because uh, this is my disagreement with maps who's um, and also with when the those all those retreats who use ibogaine mm -hmm. is that there's other things in the ayahuasca and in the iboga that you lose when you it's not only the dmt it's not only the visuals it's the, uh, there's other things in it that are equally important and there's even uh, tribes in the amazon that use ayahuasca that doesn't have dmt they only drink the ayahuasca and you can still have a visual experience that i mean uh, ayahuasca is ayahuasca and chakruna put together right but if the dmt was the important ingredient why don't they call it chakruna they call it ayahuasca for a reason so when you make like a if you would make a pill of it it wouldn't really be the important ingredient yeah and and you know i've had discussions uh in particular i don't know if you're ever interacted with sandy uh she's a listener of this show and and another show that i listen to but uh we we've talked about uh having like this full spectrum experience right where you know part of the experience and you know when i when i described this to my wife she thought i was just insane for even thinking about participating in, in a ceremony um, but you know, describing the the vomiting and and maybe the crapping in your pants and you know all these other things that uh, people generally tend to avoid. Uh, you know, taking a pill for a substance like this, sure, it gets rid of all that stuff. But a lot of the the experience is in in maybe the pain and suffering, and and that's maybe not the correct words. But but as human beings, we really do learn more from from adverse interactions than from pleasant ones, right? Uh, if if all you ever had was, uh, you know, like, uh, what's that movie? Pleasantville or Stepford Wives. If it was just everyone smiling and happy all the time, it would, uh, you wouldn't learn anything and you wouldn't understand anything, right? You would just live in this weird, blissful state. And, uh, and that might sound nice, but, uh, but again, it's like you said, it's like reading a nice hardcover and just sending out a tweet, right? Yeah, I liked what you brought up at that point. It's uh, the final thing I would like to say that uh, uh, what, what they, in ayahuasca, you call it the purge. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be crying, puking, or diarrhea, or whatever. Uh, never trust the fart, this slogan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I think that. Uh, if people who want to avoid that, they don't. They miss. They don't understand that. That's the. That's that's the highlight of the evening. Right. Like I've had many ayahuasca ceremonies. I think there's only one time when I didn't vomit, and the next day I felt like a failure. I mean, I was so disappointed. So, and I don't like vomiting. In fact, I I haven't drank any alcohol for many 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 years. And the main reason I don't drink alcohol is because I hate vomiting, and I. I, if you get too drunk, you know, I don't want to vomit. So mm -hmm. even I enjoy, and, it, and it's not the same as vomiting in your 
uh, normal state, you know. Yes. It's a different kind of vomiting, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, sometimes you, uh, I've vomited out, uh, uh, like, pain and suffering from the my own past that's become, uh, like, the, I've vomited it out. I've seen it come out, like, and when you see, like, uh, something from your past that was painful, when you actually vomit it out and you see it leave you, then you're free from that pain. I mean, yeah. it's like uh, amazing. Uh, so I, uh, and in fact, ayahuasca is called the purge, la, la purge. So uh, it's, I mean, I, I, to avoid that, I think would be a bad mistake. I mean, I think that's what, that, that's the good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, it, this actually came up because I, I created this brew and, and as part of the brew to help with some of the nausea, I added garlic to it. And, and somebody's like, uh, why, why is there garlic in here? It tastes like crap. And, and I explained, and that's how the discussion came around as to, uh, the, the purging aspect of an experience. Um, so I, I still do partake of this brew. I no longer add garlic to it and, uh, and it's fine. It's fine. Uh, the yeah you know, the purge experience can be difficult, um, but that's part of the process, right? You overcome difficulty and and you get to the next level, and and that's really why you people partake of the medicine, right? To to overcome some kind of trauma a lot of times, uh, or and to you, to learn more about themselves. Yeah, and you, in fact, the, the diarrhea thing I never had. I never shed my pants because I'm. <laughs> It's very it's very simple to avoid that. It's just that you fast the day yes. and you make sure you're empty and you don't have to worry about it. But uh, uh, whatever you do, you will always purge. And even uh, the the shamans I met, they've said that which you often do a lot. Uh, yawning is also a purge. You can yawn. Like I remember one ceremony, I was yawning the whole evening. Like it, it was also a purge. Uh, but. Um, uh, purging on the ayahuasca is 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 a joy compared to purging on iboga <laughs> because the substance iboga is not like a drink it's like uh, uh, it's like uh, almost tastes like uh, what do you call it uh, uh, when you take wood and you sawdust sorry sawdust, oh, sawdust okay it's like it's kind of like sawdust when you eat it so when you vomit that it's like vomiting sand Oh wow! Uh, so uh, that was really that's probably the roughest vomit I ever had, and it. And it uh, uh, but it was also amazing. And like afterwards, I felt like a god. So I mean, like <laughs> I'm not complaining. Ah <laughs> oh, man, that's very good. Uh, let's wrap it up here, Alex. I I want to thank you for your time. We, we should do this more often, man. I I always have a good time talking to you, uh, even on on Twitter. And I don't know why we haven't done this yet. So let's uh let's not wait six more months to do it again. Uh, but tell people about your show and and where they can find it. Well, it's just uh, called Natural Born Alchemist. If you Google that, you should find it. Uh, also, I've started recently a YouTube channel. Just just Google Natural Born Alchemist, and on social media, it's usually Born Alchemist or natural born alchemist so if you google that you find it and the website is naturalbornalchemist.com and that of course wraps up this episode of the alchemical mind thank you all for listening thanks again to alex for coming on the show and uh, of course be sure to check me out on twitter at mindalchemical you can email martin at thealchemicalmind.com check out the patreon patreon.com slash thealchemicalmind where you can support the show for 
a dollar a month or higher if you'd like and uh go to the website check out the discord and all the other great things thank you for listening and as always remember that you are it Head over to thealchemicalmind.com if you want to check out Martin's podcast. Let's finish this episode with a track highly invisible and out of control by the defunct band Tiger Tunes. Of their album, absolutely worthless compared to important books. Again, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search Natural Born Alchemist channel on YouTube and you'll easily find it. I'll leave a link in the program notes as well uh, as I normally do. Um, And yeah, don't forget that you are it, but only if you embrace the concept that freedom is in the mind.